Today's podcast focuses on something that makes this podcast even possible, public transparency. Public transparency is what I felt like God was inviting me to nearly four years ago when I was leaving a season of profound hardship and stepping into a season of significant unknowns. In that space, instead of retreating, God was inviting me to be publicly transparent, to process openly what I was trying to discern about Him, about my hardships, and about the future ahead. Heather Carter found herself in a similar place. When her life took a sudden turn and she found herself having to undergo immediate chemotherapy, she felt like God was inviting her to be publicly transparent, and she began writing down her thoughts every day. These weren't clean and polished, These weren't for show. These were her authentic thoughts in the moment that she then made accessible to others. And what could have seemed risky ended up being restorative not just for her, but for many around her. Our gut instinct is to hide our pain and our flaws, to give a strong appearance. But what if public transparency is one of the gifts and tools that God has given us to thrive? You're listening to episode 130 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you that you are a God of connections that Heather and I never would have connected were it not for you. And so we believe that you are up to something, that you are making this connection for a reason. And whether we come to know that reason or not, we thank you for it. And we just want to give you this conversation, our words and our thoughts. We want to release all of it to you so that this isn't just the two of us, but that it's actually a space for you to show yourself as God and good. And we thank you in advance for how you can and will work through even simple conversations. I always pray in most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So Heather, I'm excited about this conversation because you and I don't know each other and we only connected because of Darcy, who is just this recurring thread through my podcast now. (laughs) If I made money off of this thing, I'd have to give her some kind of like commission off of it. (laughs) You know, you and I got to connect briefly last week when I was in the midst of COVID and most of that's a blur for me. So this is almost going to be like a fresh conversation Mm -hmm. for me, which is great. Yeah, that's right. You probably don't remember we ever had a conversation. (laughs) I mean, who are you? How are we here? (laughs) So I'm excited about it. But before we jump in, what would you want people to know about who you are as we start this conversation? Oh, gosh. How long do you have? (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of a pretty big question to start with. I guess I'll just start with why I'm even talking to you. Why am I doing any kind of a podcast? Hmm. What do I have to say? So in 2015, I was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. Hmm. And that life event triggered a lot of things in my life. But the biggest thing that it triggered was my dependence on God in a new and fresh way. I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember. I don't ever remember not at least attempting to obey God and trust God and all those things. Didn't do it great all the time, but I don't remember not having that in my head. But when I got leukemia, it really solidified my faith in a new way. And since then, God has continually reminded me that I am a full-time job and I need to stop taking pictures and snapshots of everyone else's behavior and either judging it or trying to imitate it and just worry about what's going on inside of me. So I started this blog during my cancer journey, and it's just kind of morphed into five or 600 blog posts about the mess that I am. 
So you're welcome. You get to talk to a messy person today. <laughs> <laughs> messy people are the best because it gives you a lot to talk about. <laughs> I mean, already there are some things coming to my mind that I'm looking forward to talking about. But I think before that, you know, I would love to hear more about your story and about the story of God taking you to a deeper place through something you would never have chosen. So Heather, tell me a story. Well, before I had cancer, part of my story is that I was a pastor's wife for 20 years. And we had a few years before I got leukemia, had some things happen at our church where we ended up leaving. And it was a very, very painful, rough time for me. Hmm. I stuck with God, luckily, but I was pretty mad at him sometimes and at a lot of people. Yeah. And about the time where I thought I kind of got a handle on not being furious all the time, I got leukemia. <laughs> so I was in good practice, I guess you'd say, of turning over or at least trying to turn it over to God. I knew where my help came from, even though it wasn't always easy to receive it. Mm -hmm. I love how my sister-in-law said it to me one time. She said, it's like God used cancer to root out a cancer in you that has nothing to do with cancer. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's really what it is, is. I started writing these blog posts to update people on the status of my cancer. I guess I'll tell you this because this is one of the miracles. There's so many miracles around, especially my cancer journey. But I got into the hospital. I had some blood work done in the morning because I'd been having some swelling and some symptoms that were pretty mild but concerning for six months or so. And they had actually diagnosed me with rheumatoid arthritis. Hmm. I was like, I don't know. That just doesn't seem right. But I was I'm like, well, something's wrong. I guess that's what it is. I finally, through a series of miraculous events, decided to go back and get one last set of blood work before I kind of just gave up. So I went in on a Friday at 11, got blood work done. And by four o'clock, they told me over the phone, here's your blood counts. This is indicative of leukemia. We have a bed for you. You need to come to the hospital immediately. Mm -hmm. So within an hour, I was in the hospital. And on the way there, I remember asking my husband, how long do you think I'm going to be there? And he said, 30 days. It's like, pardon? <laughs> he said, that's the standard treatment for leukemia. And then I ended up in ICU by the end of it, intubated because I got a secondary infection and almost didn't make it. Hmm. But in that journey, even while I was still sick, and this is the thing I continue to talk about, is that I started writing and processing out loud the things I was going through and putting it out there in a blog. And it just seemed to encourage other people which was weird to me. I'm like, well, I'm in the hospital and other people are telling me I feel kind of guilty because we're on the outside and you're the one who's sick, but you're saying things that are helping me get through my regular life. And that's what I just continued to do. Yeah. Even after I was out of the hospital and done with leukemia, which I am, because I write about not just the disease of leukemia, I write about the disease of the soul. Hmm. So things like worry, fear, resentment, control, just to name a few of my favorite signature sins that I tend to circle sometimes. I just keep writing about how God's teaching me things in those areas. And to that end, I've not run out of any material yeah. to talk about. <laughs> I have yep. quite a repertoire of messed up places to continue to hone and give over to God. You know, we give them over, take them back, give them over, take them back. Mm -hmm. Again, that's the beauty of the messiness right there. Yeah. <laughs> Endless content. <laughs> yeah. And you're not the only one going through it. That's the other thing. That's why I don't just do it for me. Mm -hmm. I write and journal. I actually type it all out and kind of talk to myself, talk to God, reason it out on paper. 
But that for me is not enough because it doesn't help anybody else ultimately. I mean, I guess me getting better does, but I want other people to know that they're not alone in their struggles and that there's hope to get better. Sometimes all you need to know is you're not the only one. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a relief. Mm-hmm. You're not the only crazy. Even if there's one other person out there, it just makes you have some hope that at least if you're going to struggle, you're going to do it in community of some sort. Yeah. And I feel like that's one of the big lies that all of us are told is that you're alone in your struggle. Mm -hmm. In the hardest moments for me, that was the lie that I was believing Mm -hmm. is that I'm alone in this. No one understands me. No one wants to be with me in this. And what you're pointing out is actually, no, we're not alone. Mm -hmm. God is with us, but also he's given us a community that we may not even know about Mm -hmm. where we can actually resonate with someone. And one of the gifts that he's given us is what you've been describing and what you and I connected on when we talked last week is this idea of public transparency, the power of putting out there what's going on, no matter how messy it is, trusting that God can do something with it. Mm -hmm. But that's not really our default. Some people, it's their default. Some people, maybe they need to pull back a little (laughs) bit. But for a lot of people, this idea of public transparency, of being open about our struggles, our suffering is a scary and hard thing. Why is it so scary and hard for us to press into something that you and I know is actually incredibly valuable? Yeah. Well, I think for me, it comes back to ego. Hmm. I want people to see me a certain way. And when I was a pastor's wife, people thought that, oh, I had the perfect family. I have the perfect little kids. I teach women's Bible studies. And if I ever shared from the heart, it was usually in hindsight. Like last year or last month, I was struggling with this. And then I took these steps and ta-da, I'm all better now. And nobody cares. (laughs) All that does is create people who feel like they can't relate to you. Since leukemia, when I started just kind of sharing it all out there, So now if I struggle with resentment, for example, I share about it the day I have the ugly thoughts and the ugly feelings. I kind of say this as a joke, but unfortunately it's not that big of a joke, is that during the time where I was really angry with some people, I still had to drop kids off at school and I would see these people and I'd think, you know, I could just like accidentally yank that steering wheel and run her over with my car, you know? And that's an embarrassing thing to say out loud, but I would go home and write about Like that's the level of hate that I'm feeling. And I hate that I feel that way because I know that's not how God wants me to live and that angst. And I'd sit and write about it. And then people say, I know how you feel. Mm -hmm. I feel that way too. And I've been afraid to say it because yeah, it does sound crazy. And that's the kind of way I try to keep my writing very raw and honest and not worry so much about how good I look to other people, Mm -hmm. which is hard. Yeah. (laughs) Well, like you mentioned, part of that is because you've come to realize that the end goal is something outside of you mm-hmm. versus if somebody's writing to promote themselves or if someone is writing just to get thoughts out of their heads. Doing that for something outside of yourself makes it easier in a way to step where you might not have stepped before, but it doesn't make it totally easy. There's mm-hmm. still challenges. So like even today, I imagine there's still moments where you're about to put something out there that there's a part of you that's like, ah, Heather, what are you about to do? Like, yeah. how do you navigate that space when you've got that internal resistance still pushing? Well, every once in a while, I start believing the lie. It's either my ego or the devil. I don't know what you call it, but that I shouldn't write this week because I've been doubting God or because I've been in my whatever misbehaving is in my head that, you know, I feel not worthy to write. Mm -hmm. 
and I almost stop writing. And then I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. That's why people read what you write is because you're a hot mess half the time, but you know where your help comes from. So you're not just repeatedly joining in these behaviors because I have no respect or regard for God. It's just I'm human and I tend to fall into some of these things. So it's a way for me to kind of rein it in, refocus and confess to a lot of people things that I'm struggling with. And that's what keeps me, I think, relevant to people. Yeah. So it brings to my mind this idea of accessibility and this picture is coming to my mind of how so often you might have a neighborhood that is wrestling with lower income households and limited resources and somebody may come in that's doing very well in life, a CEO or something like that. And maybe they come to a space where there's a bunch of kids and they do their little talk and they're in their nice suit and they say, if you just believe you could be as successful as me. And as I'm sharing this, I'm thinking of a, a similar story of someone who came in to speak one time and had very little connection with the community in which he was sharing. And he was struck by the realization of, man, these kids are looking at me and feel no connection, feel no accessibility. Because here I am, this guy who knows nothing about their lives, nothing about their stories, trying to tell them what they can be in life. Mm -hmm. And it's a very different thing when you see someone that looks like you or is in a similar situation mm -hmm. to you or is maybe just a little bit further down the road at you, but isn't this perfect picture of success. Mm -hmm. Whereas that perfect picture of success feels way too far off mm -hmm. and inaccessible. Someone that's a few steps ahead, you're like, oh, actually, like I could get that far at least. I, I could get to where Heather is because she's having the same thoughts that I was having. And so if she believes that God's with her, maybe I could believe that as well. And so I think there's something really beautiful about that because, you know, you mentioned something really important. As a pastor's wife, there were even more limitations. Like everyone has the limitation of sometimes ego where we don't want to look bad. Mm -hmm. We want to look our best to others. But when you are in a position of any kind of spiritual leadership or influence, the pastor, the pastor's wife, an elder, a ministry leader, there's this extra level where you feel like I have to look good because if I don't, what are people going to think, not just of me, but of the ministry or church? Or could I lose my job? Will people accept what I'm saying or will they reject me? And so now it's like, I don't know how to be publicly transparent. Yeah. If someone's in that kind of situation, how would you encourage them? Because that's a uniquely hard place to sit and you had to sit in it for a while. Yeah. Yeah, it is a very hard place because even as you're talking, I was thinking, even if I had started this blog while I was a pastor's wife, I'm not sure I would have kept my job. Yeah. My husband would have kept his job because unfortunately, we say we want people to be real and we say we want our pastors to be real. But then when they display signs of realness, people freak out. Mm -hmm. And when they have struggles, like real people do, and actually struggles that a lot of leaders have that regular people don't have, it's much more intense and much more pressure. We've seen that with political leaders and church leaders and everyone. There's a wiring for leaders that what comes with that is intense pressure and expectations from others and on themselves and stuff. So it is a very non-perfect solution to that. You know, I think you have to be as real and honest as you can, but you also have to be cautious at the same time. Yeah. I'm grateful, I guess, that I didn't have to navigate both those at the same time. 
Although I think that if you feel like you can be a little more real when you're in ministry, then maybe you'll last longer too. Mm -hmm. You don't have to wait till everything just burns to the ground. I'm part of a community where people have a mentor that they can go to. And I think that every pastor and pastor's wife needs that kind of a person. It would have been good for me during that time if I could have called someone outside of my church who wasn't being taught by my husband as their pastor so that I could talk about struggles in my marriage and have it not affect their relationship with God or the church or anything, or talk about that person who I felt has harmed me and use their name and not have it again affect them or be gossip in the church. Like you really need somebody probably in all of life outside of your immediate circle to unpack that stuff with, Yeah, you know, so you don't just shove it down there and pretend everything's okay when it's not. Yeah. Because what we know about human nature is when we do that, it comes out in one way or another, yeah. either in like an explosion or diving into unhealthy ways of coping. And you and I know something that surprisingly more people don't realize is even pastors and spiritual leaders struggle with stuff and sit in spaces of suffering. Mm -hmm. But if we look at them as though they've got their lives all together, whether it's because of our perception or how they are presenting themselves, like we're going to assume, like you noted at the very start, that everything's fine. Mm -hmm. Oh, look, their life is great. Their kids are great. And little do they know that this person is in need of what you just shared, this space to actually be authentic and honest and open. Mm -hmm. And it is hard. I know when I was in a position of leadership within a ministry and was going through some really hard things for a long time, I had no clue how I could process it without making somebody think that the ministry was bad or certain individuals were bad. Like I didn't want to cast a negative light on people, but at the same time, I needed to be heard and understood and supported. And I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. And even to this day, when I share some of those stories, it's very hard to know how to process it because I'm still in close relationship and in close geographic proximity to these things. Yeah. And this pushes me into something that came to my mind when you were talking. We're really quick to coach people on one end of this problem. Hey, if you're going through something, you need to reach out to someone. You should write down your thoughts. Like we point to the person in the midst of the suffering and say, here are some ways you can get that out. And that's good. That's important. We don't want to bottle. Absolutely. But the other piece is we're not really good at confronting the other end of the issue, which is as a church, as a body of believers, we are not good at creating a culture that is accepting of that. Mm -hmm. How do we get better collectively at making a safe space for people to be publicly transparent? Well, you know, the hard part is, is that everyone's at such a different spiritual place when they come to church. Some people are all in, they're at their bottom. They know they can't do it without God and they are ready to absorb and go to any length to get better. And so they're just like an open book. But then there's people that are there just because they need a break for an hour while their kids are in the Sunday school class because they just can't take it anymore. So it's hard. It, you know, it's not like a recovery group where people go to AA or NA or Al-Anon or something where everyone's there because they know 100 percent they cannot do it on their own and they are at their wits end. Mm -hmm. They know that they have no power, no control, and they need help. Then there's this immediate acceptance of where anybody's at. I don't care what you do for your job. I don't care how many kids you have. I don't care if you're married or single. I don't care about any of it because I just want help. And you might be able to help give me the peace that I desire. Yeah. 
And in churches, it's hard to fabricate that because everyone's not convinced that they're a sinner that needs grace to get better. Mm -hmm. So many people, including me some of that time, trying so hard to do it by my own strength. Like, I got this, God. I don't want to bother. I don't know if you ever listened to Kathleen Madigan. She's a comedian and she has a whole bit called Bothering Jesus. Mm -hmm. She grew up Catholic and her mom used to always tell her, don't bother Jesus with that stuff. You know, talk to his mom, talk to one of the saints, but don't bother Jesus with that. And that's kind of how I lived a lot of the time. It's like, mm. well, I don't want to bother Jesus. I got this. I'll come to you with the big stuff. Yeah. So in churches, there's a solution, but I'm not sure it's ever going to fully happen because you have such a diverse set of types of needy people. We're all at different levels of needing God or recognizing, I guess, our need for God. Yeah. Well, I think part of the problem, too, is that we tend to come to these things from a programmatic standpoint. How do we create a pastoral care ministry to then address all these things when what God's actually inviting us to, what Jesus demonstrated, is we're being called to love others. Mm -hmm. So you can have programmatic elements, but we're actually talking about something more core. What about me when somebody is sharing is keeping me from loving them as they are, no matter how messy they are, no matter how angry are they? Like, oh, they're talking about wanting to run someone over. Should I call the police? Right. Like, no. What does it look like to sit with someone in that space, yeah. recognizing that they are in the midst of processing this thing? We have gut reactions. We have our defenses. We have our fears. But love is not supposed to be something that's operating out of fear, mm -hmm. that's operating out of self-preservation. So I think this is actually multifaceted. I think we each have to do some humble introspection mm -hmm. about what barriers we're putting up. And then you're actually demonstrating with your blog something that I have always appreciated when I see it in spiritual leaders. And I think specifically of one of my former pastors, Corey Widmer who I remember one of the first times that he was preaching a sermon and he opened up about his struggles with anxiety. And it was one of the first times I can remember a pastor actually putting their business out there. Mm -hmm. Business that, you know, at the time and even today still, but at the time wasn't really a widely accepted, like people don't really accept anxiety <laughs> as something that a spiritual leader should be wrestling through. Mm -hmm. But he felt like God was inviting him to be publicly transparent and not for his sake, but for the sake of the body that he was supposed to be shepherding. Yeah. And in doing that, what happened was the same thing that you've mentioned multiple times. So many people were like, I wrestle with that too. And now I'm really encouraged because my pastor is almost validating my experience. Mm -hmm. My pastor is showing me that there is actually a way forward because I assumed he was perfect, but now I realize he's not. And the Apostle Paul does this too. A lot of people tried to elevate him. There are some that even tried to say he was a God. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not a God. I'm not even Jesus. I'm just a man. And by the way, I keep on doing the things that I hate to do and the things that I want to do, I don't do. I'm mm -hmm. the chief of sinners, but I'm saved by grace and invited to be ambassador of Christ. And that's why you see me as I am. But don't elevate me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think there's multiple parts. How can we practice humble introspection? How can we press in with the spaces that we have, trusting that God can use that, even if it could cost us a job, could cost us a relationship because we're trying to do something beyond us? And it's something that takes time. But that's what Jesus demonstrated. Jesus could have just come in an instant, did all the things and then be out within an hour. Mm -hmm. Like he could have done that. He chose to endure three years with us people, mm -hmm. <laughs> like us messy, messy people to hear our griping, to walk with us in our struggles, 
to see the most painful moments when there's loss, to see the most selfish moments when we're wanting things to be a certain way and pushing against Jesus. Like he walked with us in all of that for three years and continues with us. Yeah. You know what I mean? He continues with us in our struggles. I think it is possible for us to create this culture, but we can't point the finger at others and say, right. so this leader and this entity, this is what you need to do. We need to start with us. How am I creating a culture where somebody could be publicly transparent for me? How am I creating a culture within myself where God can push me to public transparency? Yeah. You know, it was interesting when you were talking about Jesus, you know, walking around on earth with his disciples. And, you know, you look at stories about David and Paul and all these guys, they were a total mess. And I don't know where along the line in church world that we got the idea that we had to be this outward picture of perfection. And the other thing is that the more messed up you are, sometimes the better God can use you if you turn to him. You look at Peter as to me, the prime example. I mean, he denied Jesus three times and then he was the rock of the whole entire movement of churches. You know, those are about as far at each end of that spectrum as you can get. So I think that God just like, yeah, I know that you have the propensity for this over here, but that just means you have that much more propensity to do good and be part of kingdom efforts on the other end. And if we can remember that instead of we get so stuck, at least I do. And from what I've heard from my feedback is we get so stuck in our shame of how we've screwed up stuff mm -hmm. that we don't let God use us. We think we're unworthy, but that's ego too. Yeah, It's like, you know, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. You're just thinking about yourself all the time. And God's got stuff for us to do. Like what you said, our job really is to love God and love people. Everything else is his job. Yeah. I have actually a blog series that I did. When I used to work at a special ed preschool. And I have a series called Everything I Need to Know I Can Learn in Special Ed Preschool. Like forget kindergarten. We're, we're not even there yet. Mm -hmm. We can't even get that far. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Things like do your job. That's something we heard all the time. And I feel like God's like holding my face going, Heather, do your job. Stop kicking your neighbor and licking that friend's hand. Just focus on yourself and do your job. You're here to love God. You're here to love people. I'll take care of that guy's behavior. Thank you very much. You just take the day off. I got this. Let me do mine and you do yours. Yeah. And if we could get to that place, I think in churches, then we would have more of a culture of acceptance and like, gosh, I'm just glad you're here. Keep coming back. Yeah. The only thing we can control is what we do and how we live our lives. So the two main things I talk about, I have a lot of topics, but the overarching theme of why I keep writing one is someone's got to go first. So it might as well be me. And what happens when I go first and tell on myself, you feel free to tell about your messed up behavior. And now it's not a secret anymore. And now we can all work through it and ask for forgiveness or what needs to happen and get help. But if we just keep it a secret all the time, we're not going to be serving others. We're going to be just protecting that secret. We feel shame. We feel not usable by God. So that's one thing is like you go first. You tell on yourself to someone else so that they can feel free to share their messiness. And then the other thing is you can share while you're still sick. You don't have to be perfect to encourage somebody else. You know, when I was writing my blog, I got out of ICU March 2nd. Mm -hmm. And then in my first book, the first entry is March 29th. 
Like I didn't even know if I was going to live till my next treatment. Yeah. But I just started writing and started to try to encourage other people and just share my heart. And, you know, I wasn't far along, but I was farther along than maybe somebody else who just needs to hear that there's hope. They're around the corner and they can tell you, look, it's okay over here. It's safe. Come around this corner. You might just be that much farther ahead of someone else so that you can share your journey. Mm -hmm. And that's what I keep sharing my story. And I keep encouraging others to share theirs because someone needs to know you're that much farther ahead and that it's safe to come where you are. Yeah. And there's something important that we've got to touch on here because there could be somebody listening who has an understandable resistance on the other end of the spectrum, which is not I'm scared of sharing what's inside of me. It's I'm annoyed at how much people overshare these days, you know, mm -hmm. where the in the age of social media. And to be fair, there are a lot of people that will overshare that there is no filter. There's no parameters. And for some people, that becomes a turnoff for them to be able to engage this themselves. Mm -hmm. And so something you and I have been invited to in our public transparency, even in times we didn't realize it, was God was teaching us how to be publicly transparent in a spiritually led way. Right. So what does that look like? What does spiritually led public transparency look like? Yeah. And how is it different than just venting or throwing your junk out there? Right. Yeah. Well, I think giving it to God before you get started is important. Like what we did is praying and asking God to guide your conversation. And I actually have thought a lot about that. And I mentioned that I experienced a lot of resentments and some betrayal from close friends who, at least in my mind, I was very wronged by. Then I got leukemia and then I started writing this blog. And I knew there were thousands of people reading it at the time because they were all praying for me to not die. Mm -hmm. But I had people's ear. And if I had not been spiritually led, I mean, I could have easily been like, all right, now here's my moment. Here's a reckoning is <laughs> coming. And I'm going to start using some names or I'm going to tell just enough so that everyone already knows who I'm talking about, but I'm not going to say their name. I am very cautious of that. I also have family members who were struggling with addiction during that time. So I had to talk about addiction without telling someone else's story or throwing someone else under the bus or taking away their dignity. It is hard to do if you are doing it for your own purposes. But if you're really, truly writing or sharing so that God is glorified and people can be encouraged. And if there was ever a doubt, if I wrote something and I would give it to my loved one that I was talking about to say, is this okay? Is this too much? Mm -hmm. Or I'd run it by someone else if there was ever a question. So that is really important. This isn't a platform for you to vent your dirty laundry to everybody or someone else's dirty laundry. It's here to encourage people to be vulnerable, but it's not about you feeling like you get something off your chest to the world so that you can feel better. Yeah. And put another way, it's not even that we're saying one way is right and another way is wrong. What we're basically saying is whatever your purpose is for being publicly transparent, that's going to shape what the outcome is. Mm -hmm. And so if your purpose is to get back at someone, right? then that's going to shape what the outcome looks like. If your purpose is just to get things off your chest, then that's going to shape what the outcome is. What comes from it? What fruit grows? Mm -hmm. But if your purpose is to honor God, then this is where God can do abundantly more than we can ask for or imagine. But at every given moment, we have to be checking ourselves, right? Whenever we're writing, like you were saying, why am I writing what I'm writing right now? Yeah. 
I could feel some anger in me. So am I writing this because I want this to be something honoring God or am I feeling a certain Mm -hmm. way? And that doesn't mean it's wrong for me then to write something when I'm angry. It just means that the fruit of that is going to be different than what God might be able to produce if I release it to him. Sometimes there are things that God prompts us to do from that space of anger. Jesus went into a temple and tore it up from a space of righteous anger. There can be a moment where that is good. But if we're not doing the humble introspection, we can justify some things and end up causing a lot of damage yeah. at the worst end of the spectrum. But on the best end of the spectrum, we just might not see the tremendous fruit that could have come if we had released it to God. Yeah. When I write, I'm not saying that what I write is miraculous, but how I write and that I write is miraculous because I never wrote one thing before I had cancer. Mm. I didn't want to write. I had no experience in it. Never crossed my mind. And I do a lot of daily reading. So I think my brain is just wired for that. So like my book is like a daily reading type of book. It's not a take it to the beach and plow through it. It's read one, try to do what it says, think about it, reflect on it, and then read a different one or the same one the next day. Mm -hmm. So when I write, I usually start off with some observation. I say I write about the drama, the trauma and minutia of everyday life. Like everything about my day could be a blog if I had time to write about it. Right. So some days it's the drama, some days it's the trauma, and some days it's I was, you know, observing some squirrels outside and why don't they like my yard? They were playing in my yard yesterday. Just weird stuff like that. But I sit down and write and I start talking about whatever it is I'm struggling with or what I've observed. When I start, I don't know what I'm fully going to say and I don't always know the solution. Mm -hmm. But by the time I finish, which is about half hour, 45 minutes later, I have a solution. I reason it out between me and God while I'm talking. And by the end, there is something that you can get that you can apply or that I should realize, oh my gosh, I already knew the answer to this. I just hadn't sat down long enough to remember that I knew the answer already. Mm-hmm. And I read my own book a lot. That sounds like weird, but <laughs> I read it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I know. Oh, I totally forgot. I believe that. Mm-hmm. What am I doing with this thing? You know, I, I'm reading about resentment and I realize I know what to do. I've written about it. I've processed it, but I just forget to do it. So it reminds me of what I believe. Yeah. I never leave it though. Here's just my rant about my day. There you go. There's always a, okay, let's pull it in and see what God has to say about this. And there's some aha revelation by the time I finish writing. And then I put it out there. Mm -hmm. I don't edit it except for grammar and spelling. Because once I start messing with that, it just goes pot. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound right by the time I finish it. So I just let God make it flow and put it out there. He makes it flow and you let it go. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. (laughs) If I start messing with it on my own brain, it is not going to end well. Yeah. You've pressed into some really important myths here for someone who's feeling invited to public transparency, but is kind of pulling back. Because what you basically said is, hey, if God's invited you to public transparency, You don't have to be a writer. You don't have to be a speaker. You don't have to be a podcaster. You don't have to dot, dot, dot. You just have to trust God's invitation and then trust that he can work through your capacity. So many individuals in scripture did not have the capacity or the know-how or the knowledge base to do the things that God was inviting them to do. All they had to offer was their step forward and that was enough. So if somebody's being invited, they can do that. But the other barrier we hit is we feel like it only has value if there are thousands of people reading and responding and we can see the clear fruit. And this is what's so beautiful about what God can do through public transparency. Mm -hmm. You never know who's listening. 
I've always been amazed at the moments where I put something out there and there is very little feedback and very little response. And I question whether it was meaningful or not. And maybe a year or two later, someone would make just an off comment that indicated that actually something I said got used, Mm -hmm. right? But I had no idea. (laughs) I may have never known had it not been for hearing that slight comment. When we put ourselves out there, we could actually be sprinkling seeds that we may never see the fruit from, but it doesn't change the fact that God can grow something from it. The other piece of it is, is sometimes what God's inviting us to is for us. And I love the point that you made about, you know, I read my own book. I know that sounds weird, but what's beautiful is I've had that experience too, where I come back to some moment where God invited me to put my business out there and I am encouraged or convicted <laughs> or challenged by my old self yeah. because we do forget. This is why scripture talks about creating Ebenezer's. We could see the most miraculous thing, experience a miracle and forget mm-hmm. and forget. And so what God's doing is he's creating a way for there to be these reminders of who he is and what he's done for us and for others. But it's not for us to craft that into the most meaningful blog or the most impactful audio bite. It's just for us to entrust the story to God because he's the one who's writing it in the first place. Absolutely. I know that I'm probably would be a nightmare if I had a publicist or something, you know, because It's all about, well, you know, you're doing these podcasts. How many books are you selling as a result? Mm. And how many people are listening to these podcasts? Do you even know if anybody, how many followers they have? What are the numbers? Tell me the numbers. (laughs) It's like saying, you know, how big is your church? And how many people do you have on Easter? My husband is a pastor teacher and he has a great site on Spotify called Jesus Digs Scars. He's not in the profession of ministry right now, Mm. but he has a lot of his past sermons are on this site. And he's been kind of doing some weekend ministry, kind of pulpit supply just to give back and use his gifts on the weekends. Last week was embracing your inner loser. And so if we're in a faith that says the first shall be last and last shall be first, yet we're in Christian magazines ranking the biggest churches in America, like how is that consistent? So for me, I'm probably not a good businesswoman. I don't pay attention to all that stuff. If someone asked me to be on a podcast, to be honest, even if it were something totally bizarre, and I have been on some bizarre ones. I'm like, yes, yes, I will go Mm -hmm. because that's just a few hundred more people that will hear the message of you go first, share in your messy, you're not alone in your struggles. Those people need to hear that message too. I don't care what the topics are. I've been on some that I've had to pivot, pivot, pivot back to some positive message because it's all, it ended (laughs) up being like, don't you think God thinks this about the Democrats or the Republicans? I'm like, No, in my book, Soul Selfie, (laughs) we talk about how we mind our own business or whatever. I just have to like keep turning it back, but I don't care because it is an opportunity to continue to be publicly transparent. I love the way you say that. And I have to remember though, to do it, not just out here, Mm -hmm. but in my office and with my group of friends. In fact, the transition for me was interesting because I was a pastor's wife for 20 years, but probably three years before that, my husband was just like an intern at the church. And so I made friends as a real person. And then I became a pastor's wife and I have those same friends, but I would get together with them and I could tell they're talking about stuff that I don't know anything about. And I realized they've had private conversations that did not include me because I was now the pastor's wife Mm. and they didn't want me to know. And I really kind of blamed it on that. 
I remember telling my husband one time that I had experienced this and I was really upset that I had been left out and I was blaming it on being a pastor's wife. They just won't tell me anything because they're being naughty and I'm the pastor's wife and they want me to know. And he said, well, when's the last time you shared with them something real and vulnerable about something you failed at or messed up or sinned? Mm. And I was like, I don't know. And he said, well, do you want to have real authentic relationships or do you want to maintain this image of being perfect that they have of you? I actually had to think about it. Uh, that's a good question. I kind of wanted to have a good reputation and have them think I was really spiritual and upright and didn't do the same things that they were doing. And that led to a lot of years of being pretty lonely. Mm. I'm still friends with some of those women today. If you ask them their favorite Heather, it would not be that time. Yeah. <laughs> it would be now because I'm sharing my junk and I admit when I screw things up. And the other thing I do is I let them be who they are and I don't subtly imply that I'm disappointed in them right. or that they need to behave better. I just let them live their lives yeah. and I love on them. And if they want to talk to me about something, they can. And if I screw up, I tell them, but I just stopped trying to be God for everybody and trying to do the Holy Spirit's work and convict everyone else of their own sin and just worry about myself. Mm -hmm. And I like myself better now too. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, it's a lot of pressure to try to be God. It really kind of <laughs> stinks to pretend to be God when you're not. Uh, it's a lot of work. Doesn't work out well. <laughs> Well, what's great about everything we're talking about here is when we say public transparency, we're not saying, therefore, everyone go and write a book or do a podcast or this, mm -hmm. that, or the other. Because at the very core, what we're saying when we say public transparency is that we're getting out of our own internal prison, yeah. right? In our deepest of moments, sometimes we can lock everything in so that it doesn't see the light of day. It stays within our mind and within our soul. And sometimes public transparency can be the simple step of, I'm going to write my thoughts down. I'm not going to share these with anyone necessarily, but I'm going to write them down. That is a beautiful first step. It can be like you just shared, being a little more open with friends, with those mm -hmm. close to us. And it can grow to a space where God invites us to have a larger audience. But again, it's not about the audience, because at the end of the day, what we're saying is how can we take what we're trying to hold so tight within ourselves and release it out beyond ourselves to God to say, God, what can you do with my mess? And he says, just you watch. With your story, what I wrote down at the very start is that you always had a relationship with God. But it was in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the public transparency, that that relationship and your understanding of him solidified. Mm -hmm. And what you experienced isn't localized to you. Others can experience it. So let's say there's somebody listening right now that's in a particularly hard place. Maybe they have cancer. Maybe they don't know if they're going to make it to the next month. What would you say to encourage that person? I think the thing that I learned the most during that time and through other seasons of my life is that, you know, you've probably heard the verse, you know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. God loves us all. And he also knows that life happens to us all. I remember going to one of my chemo treatments and I heard a song on the radio it was by the Dawes, I think it was. And it basically said, let's make a list of all the people you're not speaking to. Let's make a list of all the things the world has put you through. I don't know what it is you want me to say to you. Things happen. That's all they ever do. Hmm. For some reason that hit me because I thought, you know what? Things happen. What you do with those things is entirely up to you. What you do those things will also depend on if you are leaning into God for help or trying to go it on your own. 
And I just realized like I can do this cancer with God or without God. It's coming. It's here. Whatever is happening is happening. I don't know the rhyme or reason to it. I'm not big enough to understand a big God Mm -hmm. and why he lets things happen and why he doesn't. I don't understand that. But I do know that life is sadder and lonelier and more hopeless if you're not doing it with God's help, with his strength and with his people. That's the other thing. Mm. I mean, we're all his people, not just church people, but we are his people. And so when we are going through stuff, I never would have made it without people coming alongside me to clean my house and take care of my kids and bring me meals. And I always talk about this idea of community. That's the bare minimum. I mean, we ultimately need God's help for our inner stuff, but for the practical things and the people who have skin on walking around, we need that community. Mm -hmm. And I always say you have to cultivate that community before the catastrophe. If you're just a loner, when this catastrophe comes, it's going to be really hard. Mm -hmm. You have to find those friends or find that group or go to church or go to a support group or something because things happen. Yeah. And we can't do it alone. We just can't. Yeah. Well, if someone wanted a simple way to connect with community and they're thinking, man, I want to check out this Soul Selfie blog, how can they connect with you and your content? My website is heathercarterwrites.com. Very simple. And my books are available through that. They're also on Amazon. My book's called Soul Selfie. And then the second one is Soul Selfie, hashtag no filter. And they're both a collection of 120 blogs. And then the second one is the next 120 blogs that I wrote. There's also some other interviews and things they can watch on their podcasts. The thing I do love about my site is I'm very technologically deficient. So I have my friend Rachel did my site and got it organized. But one of the things I do is I categorize all my blogs. Usually there's five or six different categories that each one will fit into. Mm -hmm. So if you go to browse the archives by category, Mm -hmm. there's about 40 different topics in there that you can click on and anything I've written about those topics will be in that category. So if you're struggling with forgiveness or resentment, go click on those and read everything I've written about that or control. Apparently that's one that I write about a lot because there's a lot. (laughs) My husband is like, your whole book is about that. I'm like, Uh... shut up. So yeah, you can just go and whatever you're struggling with, just read those. You know, those are all free. You can buy my books and I would love for you to buy my book and pass it to other people but they can go to that site and read all those same ones for free. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do that with the podcast, create yeah. this categorical breakdown of the different things because it's amazing how many tags can actually come out of a single space, what God can do to connect different points. Yes. Maybe one day, yeah. I don't know. Well, as we close out, is there anything else that God's placing on your heart that you feel like he wants you to share? You know, I think the one thing I want to make sure I say every time I do talk is that, you know, I firmly believe and God has shown me that we go through what we go through so we can help others get through what we went through. I think it's in Second Corinthians, you know, it says the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so we can help others with that same comfort that we have received from God. My challenge, I guess, is that whatever you're going through, there's something you can learn from it and you can use what you learn to encourage somebody else. That's how we redeem that hard stuff. God redeems it by using it to encourage someone else going through the same. So just don't hold it all in. Don't try to do it on your own and ask God what it is he wants you to learn through it and share it with someone else who could use some hope. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean, go out to
Psalm 69 says this, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs on my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God. In the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Man, if you're still unsure that public transparency is a gift from God, you don't have to look any further than the scriptures, especially the Psalms. Psalmists like David were deeply publicly transparent. They shared openly about their hardships, about their flaws, about their fears, about their doubts, and it was so public that it often became songs. David knew that hiding within himself wasn't going to bring healing and restoration. He also knew the power of just putting our thoughts out there because when they're not ruminating in our head, we can see them for what they are. And this is what you see in the Psalms so often. Painful, painful passages are followed by passages that proclaim a hope in God in the midst. And this public transparency doesn't stop at the psalmist. We've talked often about the Apostle Paul and his famous passage, I do not understand what I do. Because what I want to do, I don't do, and what I hate to do, I do. It can be easy for a spiritual leader to be afraid to say something like that, to publicly admit, I'm not doing the things that I want to do, and I'm doing the things that I shouldn't. We fear retribution, we fear shame, we fear loss of reputation. But the Apostle Paul knew he didn't answer to anyone who might hear him, he answered to God. And he also knew that by sharing it, he was not only taking away the power of the enemy to drag him down with ruminating thoughts, he was also bringing encouragement, exhortation, and hope to those who may be in similar situations. As Heather and I shared in the conversation, the invitation here isn't for everyone to go and write a book or everyone to go and start a podcast. But it is to say, what if we got better at acknowledging the danger of keeping our thoughts in our head? And what if we got better at acknowledging the power in seeking out community? Whether it's being transparent with friends, transparent with a spiritual family, or transparent publicly. When scripture tells us to take thoughts captive, this is one of the ways that we can do it. Thoughts left unbridled in our head can run amok. But when we grab those thoughts and we put them out into the open, into the light, we see them for what they are. Our fears, our doubts, our struggles. In the light, we can see them more accurately. They no longer seem as daunting as they do growling in the darkness. Heather found healing in the midst of a hard season by accepting the invitation of public transparency. I've found healing as well over the last four years as I've accepted the same invitation from God in writing, in podcasts, and in conversations. 
It will be hard. I still struggle today sharing elements of my hardest seasons, especially in certain contexts. But I know ultimately, it's not what others end up thinking about me, but what God ends up saying. And what God is saying to me, to Heather, and to you, is that he loves us deeply. He knows us more fully than we know ourselves, and he desires full life for us. That even if our public transparency gets really messy, that he is seeking restoration for us, beyond the here and now, something eternal. And not only for us, but for those who he might place around us to hear our struggles, to hear our processing, to hear our hopeful moments. That through our journey, someone else's journey may become a little lighter. So if you feel besieged by ruminating thoughts, I encourage you to find a way to get those thoughts out of your head today. And not only to get them out of your head, but to give them to God. Because he can take what you give him and do abundantly more than you could ask or imagine. And when he does, ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?